Thank you for joining us on our podcast for Faith Center Church. We hope today's message builds you up and brings you hope right where you're at. Hope you enjoyed the message. Awesome. Well, if you have your Bibles, turn to Matthew chapter 14. I'm going to be ministering on overcoming doubt and living by faith. Overcoming doubt and living by faith. That's generally how it has to work. You have to overcome doubt to live by faith. I want to say those that are watching online, thank you for tuning in. Hit that share button. Let's share this and get it around. And uh, start with verse 28. It says, Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it, is, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. So he said, come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water. Everybody say he walked on the water. He walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw, everybody say saw. But when he saw that the wind was boisterous, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, not suddenly, but beginning to sink, he cried out saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, O you of little faith, why did you doubt? Father, speak to our heart, our spirit, and our soul, man. In Jesus' name, amen. How to deal with doubt. How do we deal with it? I believe one thing that God wants to do in our lives this day and time, and for us as a church, is we have to learn how to deal with change. That's, that's hard for me. Things are changing, and sometimes that can be hard. You know, you, you get into church culture, so to speak, and you just kind of get in the flow. And then when things change, it can, it can be difficult. And you have to learn to flow with change. You know what the word change means is to make different. God's area of expertise is change. Anytime God intervenes, change is inevitable. If he puts his hands on it, it's going to change. If he speaks his word over it, it's going to change. When God changes something, hear this, it's a different kind of change than we know. It's not a change that makes different for the purpose of being different. It's the kind of change that makes different for the purpose of being better. Being better. God makes things better. Amen? Because if you were to look back at your life and you were to audit your experiences in life, you could probably say, God hasn't just made me different. God's made me better. God has made me better. He doesn't you know, make the broken different. He makes them whole. He doesn't make the weak different. He makes them stronger. Why? Because he's an expert in the area of change. Now, I want to say this. All of us have been called to do what Peter did, and that's to be water walkers. And I'm not talking about let's all get together and go out to Lake Arbuckle and see how far we can get before we sink. I'm talking about our faith. Jesus called Peter to walk to him, but because of doubt, he began to sink. And, and this message tonight isn't as much about walking as it is seeing. Because in order to walk right, you've got to see right. In order to make advancement or progress, you've got to do more than just see God right. You've got to see yourself right with God. It's a position. It's a position thing. 
And you'll never experience God's best for your life if you see God right, but you see yourself wrong. If you see yourself not worthy. If you see yourself less than God's best. You'll never experience God's best if you see God right, but you see yourself wrong. Are you getting that? The Bible proves this with, his, with this theory right here. In Numbers chapter 13, you, you can go ahead and go there because that's where we're fixing to go. There was a place where God preordained his people to occupy, Canaan. And it's a symbolic of the kind of life that God desires for his people to acquire. As they are attempting to acquire the land of Canaan, they run into some enemies. As they're preparing to engage those enemies, a group of men started a conversation about the capability of carrying out their assignment. And this is what was said. We can't attack those people. They're stronger than we are. And so they began to spread a bad report among the Israelites. And they said, hey, the land we explore flows with milk and honey. It's awesome. It's incredible. But there's giants in that land. And, and, you know, then they say, what's this? And we were like grasshoppers in our own eyes and in their eyes also. Look at verse, Numbers 13, verse 33. This is what they said. There we saw the giants and we, and we were like grasshoppers in whose sight? Our own sight. And so we were in their sight. Now I got a question for you. How do they know what they look like to the giants? Maybe it's the way they pro- were projecting themselves to the people that were seeing them. See, these people didn't lose to the giants in the land. They lost to the grasshopper up here in their mind. They didn't lose to the giants. Sometimes, church, watch this. The problem isn't the giant that's out there. The, pr- the problem is the grasshopper that's in here. And how we see it, how we think about ourselves. You can't survive on a grasshopper mentality, on a grasshopper limitations. You cannot survive. A victim mentality, a conquered mentality. God is trying to get us, church, to see ourselves as he sees us. That's what he's trying to do. You are a water walker. You walk on what other people drown in. You are managing what other people are overwhelmed by. You've been wired and crafted for uniqueness because you are a water walker. In other words, you operate in faith. That's how God's designed us to operate, is in faith. Peter gets to a point in his journey where he sees Jesus walking on the water, and he requested permission to do the same thing. Peter sitting in a boat, recognizing that his location was not his desired destination. He realized that he could not get from his location to his desired destination without abandoning his mode of transportation. Now, I want you to write this down if you're taking notes. If you're going to be the exception, you have to be willing to recognize that there are some places only exceptions can go. If you're going to be the exception, recognize there are some places only exceptions can go. There is a place of progress that is reserved for the not normal. There is a level for the special. There is an arena for the unique, and you cannot row your way there to get there. You have to be willing to step out what everybody else is setting in. 
To get there, you have to be willing to go another way. To get there, you have to be willing to take another route. There are some places you can't get to unless you walk on water, unless you extend your faith. And you cannot do that unless you're willing to do two things. Number one, unless you're willing to stop doubting. Abandon that thing. Abandon the boat. Number two, the boat. What you're setting in. Because here's the bottom line. You cannot live being in love with what got you where you are. You can't survive on that. Some people cannot move forward, not because they're in love with their location, but because they're in love with their transportation. What got them there? How I got here? They're not willing to change the transportation system because they don't realize what got them there you know, can't get them to where they want to be. It means you have to step out. You have to be that water walker. Well, some people feel blessed to set in. You know, so you've got to be willing to step out. The disciples probably felt blessed just because they were in Jesus' boat. Hey, we, we are in the Jesus' boat. We are in his boat, the man, Jesus. We're in his boat. And it wasn't that Peter, watch this, wasn't appreciative. Peter was unsatisfied. We're just settling for someone else's destiny. So yes, this may be great for you, and I'm not judging your destiny, but my destiny requires for me to walk out of what some people love to sit in. So to walk out, walk out on the water means you must be willing to be the other, and you must be willing to be the only. Because what? There were 11 other men in that boat. You've heard me say it before, 11 potential water walkers. And when Peter decided to get out, it meant that he was willing to be the other. Here's the thing, church. Everybody wants to be the other without being the other. But you can't be the other without being the other. You've heard that saying, don't be that guy. That's what that pretty much means right there. In other words, people want, want to be normal and special at the same time. They want to be unique, and not, you know, but not unique at the same time. Be willing to be the other and be willing to be the only. Peter wasn't just the other. He was the only one that got out of the boat. And I'm sure, you know, Peter probably thought James and John are going to follow me because they go everywhere with Jesus. There are some places that you'll go that even the closest people to you cannot go. The question is for you, can you be the only and still know you belong? I can't tell you how many rooms I've been in and I've been the only one. You've got to be willing to be the only and not to defend being the only. Don't defend that. Don't waste your time defending being the only. You have to come to a place and have an attitude that says, if my onlyness bothers you, take it up with my supervisor. Because he's the one that put me here. You're wondering how I got here. I'm wondering how I got here too. But if God put me here, he must have a reason for it. And I'm okay with being the only one. If that's what it comes to. Learn to be comfortable with you. Learn to be comfortable with who you are. Learn to love you. Learn to have confidence in yourself. And as you do, here's what happens. Doubt begins to kind of dwindle away as you come to those places in your life. As Peter begins to walk towards Jesus, he begins to sink. As he begins to sink, the Bible says Jesus immediately 
Immediately, Jesus reached out to him. Now, here's where my mind goes when, when I read that. If he waited four days to raise Lazarus from the dead, Peter's sinking circumstances couldn't have been that pressing of an issue. So why, why did he do it immediately? Here's my theory. It's a theory. Maybe he's trying to save something else. Maybe he's trying to save his confidence. Because he's know, he, he knows that Peter's going to need that confidence later to accomplish what God's going to give him. To accomplish that assignment. So Jesus is like, let me save you quick. Maybe only your, you know, your legs get wet. I mean, that's just a theory. But look at verse 31 again. And immediately Jesus stretched out his hand and caught him and said to him, O you of little faith, or O ye of little faith, why did you doubt? Now when he says little here, this is a big misconception in the body of Christ. Maybe a little controversial, but I'm going to go there. When he says little here, he's not talking about the size of Peter's faith. This is, a good, this is good right here. You want to lean in right here and catch this. Because Jesus says, faith the size of a mustard seed can what? Move mountains. So he's not talking about the size of Peter's faith. He's talking about the state of Peter's faith. The posture of Peter's faith. You see that? Here's a question. Out of all the things that Jesus could have critiqued, why did he only critique Peter's faith? He didn't say, you wicked wind. He didn't say, you weak water. He said, ye of little faith, which means faith was the factor that contributed to Peter's sinking. Jesus is teaching Peter how to win without feeling like you have to control things that you can't. Ooh, that's... Man, he said, I'll say something right there. He's teaching Peter how to win when, you know, without feeling how you, you, know, you got to control things when you, you, know, you can't. He says, you can't control the wind. You can live as good as you possibly can, but there's going to be wind that will blow in our life. Amen? You know what? Win anyway. Win anyway. I was playing golf the other day with a, with a guy that's, you know, the group I play in, we play from the whites. And I think I've said this before, but bear with me if, that's, if you've heard it before. And the guy that exactly my age plays up on the golds, that's where the 65 and 70-year-olds play. And I called him out one day. I said, why are you teeing off from the white, from the golds, and I'm teeing off back here from the whites, and we're the same age? You know what he told me? Well, you're a better golfer. You have a better ability than I do. I, I can't drive it as far as you can drive it. And so I said, so because of your ability. He goes, yeah, because of my ability. You know, I looked at him and I said, get better. <laughs> you know how you fix that? Practice. Get better. He just learned to, you know, live. I'm just, you know, my ability, I just can't do it. I'm not going to go there. I'm not bitter anymore. How many times have we said, if this wind would stop blowing, I'd be all right? Well, I've said that a lot. Or if this water would just hold me up, I'd be further along in life. Jesus didn't correct the wind. 
or the water. He went to the source. He corrected his faith. Which suggests that the wind and the water have been of little consequence. If Peter had gotten his faith right, he'd been okay. He said, your issues aren't the things that you think. What is he teaching us here? He's showing us how not to misdiagnose your obstacle. The problem for most of us is we misdiagnose the problem. The problem, my dad has always said this, the problem is usually not the problem. In other words, someone's in a, in a funk or they're in a bad thing, you see they have a problem, that's usually not what it is. Let's put them there. Jesus said the wind's not your problem because look, I'm in it and I'm still walking. See, somebody's walking on what you're sinking in. Somebody's advancing where you're not advancing in. He says, ye a little faith, meaning if you gotten this part right, the wind wouldn't be an issue. The circumstance that you're seeing around you wouldn't be an issue if you got this right. So Peter didn't sink because of the wind, the waves, or environment. He sunk because of doubt. That's why he sunk. Watch this. If faith had been present, the water wouldn't have been an issue. So could it be, could it be that we're trying to fix the wind when God is telling us, fix your faith. Don't try to fix the wind. Don't try to fix the circumstance. Fix your faith. Because if you fix your faith, the wind don't matter. The water don't matter if you got your faith right. Now, this is pretty interesting because Jesus prioritizes faith over everything else. He could have said, what's this? Oh, ye a little prayer. Because Jesus spent hours praying before he ever walked on water. But he didn't critique that with Peter. Because why? He knows that faith, he knows that faith, that faith, that faith is foundational. He's trying to get Peter to get his faith right because nothing works aside from faith. Nothing. He's trying to get him to see that prayer is ineffective without faith. Salvation, hear me, cannot be experienced without faith. It's impossible. I've heard people say, well, I said the prayer and I went to the front. You said some words and you gave the preacher your hand, but never gave Jesus your heart because it's impossible to accept him without faith, without him extending that measure of faith to you, the measure of faith. It's impossible. The Bible says we are saved by grace through faith. And grace is what? God's unmerited favor. So here's what that means. God deposits faith into the world's account. But only those that have a withdrawal slip of faith are able to draw down on salvation that is available for everyone. So not only does salvation work this way, but every promise of God works this way. Some of us are asking for things that's already in your account. Some of you are asking, Lord, I just need more joy. I need more peace. Well, God's already put that there. When you accept Him, it's in you. He's put it there. We're asking for patience, and God's already put it in your account. I, I used to be the world's worst about wanting more patience. And one day God said, well, just draw on it because it's in you. Have you, put a with, have you put a draw on it? He wants us to make a withdrawal on our faith account, church. He's given us all things that pertains to God and to pertain to His godliness and put it in our account, and He's waiting for us to make a withdrawal. 
He's trying to get Peter to see all this. Because if Peter doesn't get this right, he doesn't get anything right. Let me give you this for all my note takers. Faith is believing and behaving like God's telling the truth. That's what faith is. Believing and behaving. So it's one thing to believe, but another thing, you've got to behave. Like God's telling the truth. Look at James 2.17. Faith by itself. Faith by itself. If it does not have works, it's what? So it's more than just believing. It's behaving. That's important because this, this keeps us from mislabeling faith. This scripture right here. James says, if there's no action, then faith is dead. Because watch this, some people call optimism faith. Faith makes you optimistic, but faith is not optimism. Faith always, always, always produces a corresponding action. Always. Faith always does that. Someone might say, well, you have faith, but I have deeds. To which I would say, show me your faith without deeds, and I'll show you my faith, but I'll show you my faith, but I'll show you my deeds. So faith is believing that and behaving like God is telling the truth. You've got to show action to it. It's not optimism. It's not energy. It's not positive thinking. It's not hoping. It's not, you know, it's not faith in faith. Here's the thing. Here's the best way, here's the best way to describe it. Faith has an author and a finisher. Jesus is the author and the finisher of my faith. I have faith because of God, and I put that faith back into God, meaning if it wasn't for God, I wouldn't believe. We can look back, and we've all been through seasons in our life and say, I have no other reason but to believe that this will work out, besides God saying he's going to work it out. I can look back of seasons and watch, see where God's worked it out. Remember, we're talking about dealing with doubt. Dealing with doubt. How many of you know what it's like to deal with people that are unreasonable? When you're dealing with unreasonable people, you have no reason to believe that an unreasonable person is going to act reasonably. Don't ask me to say that again. Unless you believe somebody else is sitting in the room when you're talking to that unreasonable person. And that somebody else that's sitting in the room, although he's not seen, is working on your behalf. So, I don't believe it's going to work out. I believe God is going to work it out. I'm not just hoping in hope. I know in whom I believe, and I'm persuaded that He is able to keep me in His perfect will. Faith is believing that and behaving like God's still telling the truth. So, if something is so fundamental to our advancement and to our progress that we can't, you know, then we can't be elementary and understanding it. We've got to get it. I've got to get this part right in my life. You've got to get this part of faith right in your life. And I have to be able to build or develop this little measure of faith that I've been given. I'm talking about the type of faith that gets you out of the boat, but not enough to sustain you on the water. Come on. It was enough to get you started but not strong enough to help you sustain the wind. Watch this. It's one thing not to go back when you can't. Because some people are bragging about the decisions they made 
that isn't brag worthy. It's easy to make a decision when you don't have any options. Let me, let me put it this way. It's easier to talk about what you walked away from when you really didn't walk away from anything. When you have options and the boat is in walking distance, you can go back to, that's when you really know whether or not you have faith or limited options. It's one thing to have faith to get started. It's another thing to have faith to keep on going, keep on walking. And so in church, we're encouraged to have faith in all that, and that's all good, but subliminally, it's sending a message that's a bit misguided. That you can, you know, that you can just, you know, will yourself into faith. It's not the way it works. Faith is not something you decide to do. Faith is a process. Start out with a little seed, but you can grow it. It's a process. The decision you make is not to have faith. The decision you make is to do things that bring faith. Did you catch that? The decision you make is not to have faith. The decision you make is to do things that bring faith, that strengthen that faith, that grow your faith. Let me show you three things. I got six minutes that will help you build your faith and eliminate doubt. You ready? Number one, when Peter had faith in the, in the boat, but he lost it on the water, you cannot live today off of yesterday's faith. So number one, we need to know who God is. Number one, who God is. Verse 28 again, Peter answered him, said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, Lord, if it's you, he didn't call him Jesus. Notice that. He called him what? Lord. When people say, I know God, what they really mean is, I know his name. Peter didn't call his name. Peter called his title. When it comes to building faith, you've got to know more than his name. You need to know his title. Because titles reveal what he's committed to be and do. That's what titles reveal. So when you're in need of provision, and you're not hearing me wrong here, God is not enough. God, I need you. God, I got I, I have it. I don't have, I don't have enough. When you're in need of provision, God is not enough. When you're in need of provision, you need to know him and call him as Jehovah Jireh, my provider. That's the title. That's what he responds to. Why? Because that's his title. I'm Jehovah Jireh. I'm your provider. When you call him as Jireh, you're making a withdrawal, what? On his position. Boy, I thought that excited more people, but okay. You got, you got to know who he is, church. My God is Emmanuel, God with us. He's not just for me, he's with me. And so when the enemy orchestrates seasons of destruction from my life, God intervenes between me and that which the enemy is sending towards me. Number two, you have to know what he said. Verse 29, Jesus said, come, and then Peter went. He didn't go until Jesus said, come. Guess that. You have to know, verse number two, you have to know what he said. Jesus, in verse 29, said, come, and then Peter went. He didn't go until Jesus said, come. He had faith to move because what? He heard what God said. Know what God has said. Have faith in that word. Have faith in what God has said. That's what will build your utmost faith. So if faith is believing that and acting like what God has said, what God has said is true, then I've got to know what the truth is. This means right here. 
Your faith rests on your conviction regarding whether or not God is a truth teller. It doesn't matter how much truth I know if I don't believe God is telling the truth. <clears throat> and you may say, well, of course I know God's telling the truth. Well, then why is your faith growing? Because then faith has no foundation to rest on if you don't believe God is telling the truth. Numbers 23, 19. God is not a man that he should lie, nor a son of man that he should repent. <clears throat> has he said, and he, will he not do? Or has he spoken, and will he not make it good? When God says it, it does, he doesn't change his mind. When God called me to ministry at 14, he didn't change his mind about it since. I have several times. But, but God hasn't. God, when God said, I will supply all your needs, he hasn't changed his mind about doing that. He's going to take care of it. Put your faith in that. God said, your enemies will come at you one way, and I'll, I'll, they'll flee seven ways. He hasn't changed his mind. God said that he would do exceedingly abundantly above all that we can think, ask, or comprehend. God hasn't changed his mind about that. Even when we change our mind, God doesn't. That is so important because it means my faith is built on the truth and not facts. You know how many times we heard mom say in the pulpit, uh, the facts are this about a bad, you know, medical report. But the truth is, by Jesus' stripes, we're healed. My faith is built on truth. My faith is not built on facts. You can't build faith on facts. The facts are what? My circumstances. The truth is what God said about my circumstances. That's why it's important to be in church when the doors open, because you're getting more truth to build your faith. Know who God is, number one. Know what God has said, number two. And number three, the finale. Two minutes. Seven, oh, one minute on that one. I got two minutes on mine, so I'm going by mine. Number, number three, know what God did. Know who God is. Know what he said. Number three, know what God did. Jesus says to Peter, ye of little faith. And then he asked him, why did you doubt? Well, that's a pretty obvious answer, isn't it? There's a storm on the sea. I'm seeking, Lord. What do you think? Look at verse 31 again. Immediately Jesus stretched his hand out, caught him and said, Oh, you little faith, why did you doubt? Here's a given. Faith is not a denial of reality. Faith is a constant belief of God in spite of reality. Faith doesn't deny reality. It believes God to change it. How many of me say that again? Faith is not a denial of reality. Faith is a constant belief in God in spite of reality. Faith doesn't deny reality. It believes God to change it. That gives me goosebumps. Because think about this. Early in the day, Jesus had performed the miracle of two fish and five loaves of bread. And Peter was all part of that. He can't see, he can't see it unfold. So Peter, why are you doubting now when you just saw the miracle earlier? I fed the people. I don't even know. You know, I didn't even know. And you're in the boat with me and you think I'm going to let you sink. And here's what I believe that's teaching us. Strong faith, write this down. Strong faith is tied to a strong memory. Strong faith is tied to a strong memory. And a strong memory isn't remembering everything. It's remembering the right things. 
There are times in order to have faith to sustain you in the future, you've got to look back and see God's faithfulness in your past. And when you do that, I know God will deliver me. I saw what happened five years ago. This ain't nothing. Because I know God can take care of this. Jesus is saying, you have no logical reason to doubt me. Even when you weren't looking toward God in your past, God was looking toward you. It's called prevenient grace. Write that down. When you weren't looking toward God, when you were far away from God, not even saved, God was still looking toward you. Called prevenient grace. That means God's grace was working in your life before you ever knew what grace was. Come on. Look back when you were sin- chief of sinners and think, I should have died right there. Prevenient grace walks with you in seasons of mistakes. It gets in the car with you even when you go to the wrong places. It protects you. It covers you. It brings you to a point to where you surrender your life to him. And God says, I was preserving you all that time for this. That wasn't luck. There ain't no such thing. That was God. That was God, God's grace. So maybe we should stop acting like faith is illogical. And maybe start acting like doubt is illogical. Because if you look at the evidence of God in your life, you'll find you have more reason to believe than you do to doubt God's faithfulness over your life. God, if you don't get anything else, I'll say get this. God has never not been faithful for you. Never. Never. Have you been through some hard times? I bet you have. We all have. But God has never not been faithful in my life. Now, he's not always given you everything maybe you wanted. But he's always given you what you needed. So the question he's asking you is, what makes you think he's going to leave you now? What makes you think he's going to let you sink now? After all this time, no way. No way. I'll close with this. Here's how you know your faith is growing. When it takes longer for you to sink than it does to come back up. I call it a slow sink. It's when you come to yourself and you realize my faith is bigger than my doubt. Amen? Amen. I'm done. I'm through teaching. We can overcome doubt. We just got to live by that faith. We got to let faith rise up. And I believe, I truly believe this. I believe that God is, is allowing us to grow our faith because it's up to us. There's some things we have to do things for ourselves. And this is one of them. You have to grow your faith for yourself. You have to plug in. You have to get in. You have to dive in. You got to be 100% committed. And when you do that and your faith begins to grow, you're going to be astonished by what you can accomplish. You're going to be astonished by how your prayers that you thought could never get above the ceiling is being answered. Because you're growing your faith. You're growing your faith. Don't let your faith go stagnant. Don't let it just be, well, I got, a, I, got the muscle, I got the measure of faith like everybody else. Don't be satisfied with that. Don't be satisfied with that. Grow your faith. Amen. Father, we thank you for this night. Thank you for your message to your people. Thank you, Father God, that we are overcoming doubt and we're walking in faith daily. I give you praise and I thank you for that in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. amen.